My father can't play piano. No need to. This piano plays me. Ugh. Forever, if you want to. Really? Sure, we'll sing and play games, and Mother will cook your favorite meals. There's one tiny little thing we need to do. What's that? Well, <laughs> it's a surprise. For you, our little doll. Black is traditional. But if you'd prefer pink, or vermilion, or chartreuse. <sighs> no, you might make me jealous. No way! You're not sewing buttons in my eyes! Oh, but we need a yes if you want to stay here. They say even the proudest spirit can be broken with love. <laughs> of course, chocolate never hurts. Like what? They're cocoa beetles from Zanzibar. I want to be with my real mom and dad. I want you to let me go. Is that any way to talk to your mother? You aren't my mother. Apologize at once, Caroline. No! I'll give you to the count of three. One. Two. to death holler i'm your host the reverend dr death and joining me as always is the other mother la urena how are things going in the other world urena you know i'm just recovering uh trying to get the world back together after what that little brat did to it um and i feel like there's another chance to catch her like it's not over yet so you're not just gonna recycle that little doll and uh, make her into somebody else that might be a little bit easier to trap no, I, I feel like this one's powerful. I feel like this one is really going to rebuild that world if I get it. And she might be the next me, so you never know. <laughs> All right. Back in 2009, the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach collaborated with the up-and-coming up animation studio, Laika Studios. This union resulted in what is arguably one of the best, if not the best, stop-motion movies of all time. 
based upon Neil Gaiman's novel, this dark but magical story about a neglected child would become an instant classic. Here at Death Holler, we love this film, and since it is having a mini resurgence in theaters, we decided to cover it as part of our very one of our very special episodes. So pull on your raincoat, have some breakfast for dinner, and make sure you lock the small door in the main room. This episode, we are reviewing Coraline. Yay! <laughs> First up, though, if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. Also, consider following us on social media. You can find us on TikTok and Twitter under Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. Coraline from 2009. Tagline, be careful what you wish for. Directed by Henry Selick, written by Henry Selick and Neil Gaiman. Music by Bruno Kulis or Kula, however you say that. Mm-hmm. Budget of $60 million U.S. million. It made $124.6 million U.S. million. So pretty respectable profit on that one. Yeah. Uh, principal players, we got Dakota Fanning playing Coraline Jones, a neglected girl and the main protagonist. Uh, she was in the Rip- uh, She's in the upcoming Ripley TV miniseries, which wow. I'm actually very interested in. That's if anybody didn't know that... It's going to be a continuation of Alien. Oh, shit. Yeah, and some people are theorizing it's going to be based on the Alien Isolation game that came out a few years back where it's like a very young Ripley is trapped on a, you know, by herself on like this derelict uh, spacecraft and like there's like one of the aliens is like hunting her down the entire time. So if they base it upon that, it could be really good. Uh, she's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She was in the Twilight Saga, uh, the movie Push, and then a movie called Hide and Seek. We have Terry Hatcher playing uh, Mel Jones, the other mother, and the Bell Dam. Uh, she is primarily throughout the movie the distracted mother, but she is also the antagonist uh, in her other form. She was in Spy Kids, of course, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Mm -hmm. which uh, most people know her from. I think that's where she really got popular. And then Desperate Housewives. Where she got (laughs) re-popular. Yeah. She was so good in that show. I mean, Lois and Clark, amazing. Like, if you don't know her from that, I'm sorry. She's one of the best Lois Lanes on film. Oh, I I agree. Um, Which is insane, because there was was a pretty good movie one. You know, back in the 80s. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the original. Uh, uh, and then, of course, like the, the new one on the Superman uh, and Lois or whatever, or Clark and Lois, whatever that new show is that's on CW, she's not bad either. Okay. Um, so yeah. they, they've, had a, they've had a pretty good run, but, like, she definitely stood out because she had all of the, the attitude that yes. Lois needed. So. Uh, we have Jennifer Saunders playing Miss April Spink and then <sighs> other Spink. Of course she did. I had no idea. <laughs> Who is the aging burlesque uh, actress. Um, if anybody didn't know, just think absolutely fabulous. She's not the blonde. She's the other one in that show. I mean, constantly drinking, smoking, getting fucked or looking to get fucked. I mean, that's Oh, my God. I mean, that's basically what they did. So. I have never seen that. Is it a TV show? Is it a movie? 
it's a British. Well, it's actually both. It was a British TV show that lasted forever. Uh, it was a comedy, and uh, then they made several movies out of it, like after the show ended and wrapped up. Okay, because uh, when I think of Jennifer Saunders, I think of the fairy godmother from Shrek singing <laughs> I Need a Hero. <laughs> yeah, she's, she was in Shrek 2 as well, so, I mean, that that's a thing. Well, Shrek 2, yeah. Uh, uh, she was in uh, Death on the Nile recently. Uh, she was a voice in Minions, uh, a voice in Fable, the video game, and she was in Muppet Treasure Island, of all wow. things. So she plays uh, a rip-roaring hoe in, like, her main thing that she got famous in, and then she's been in all this, a lot of this children's, you know, television and movies. So kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Don French plays Miss Miriam Forcible, and other Forcible, who is another aging burlesque actress, uh, she was the vicar or vicar of Dibley, uh, the in French and Saunders, obviously, which is another TV show with her and another uh, castmate. Harry Potter, and then of course she was also in Absolutely Fabulous, one episode of the actual show, but also the movies. Wow. So her and Jennifer Saunders were good friends before they ever actually did this. Okay. Uh, Keith David plays the cat who is just a wise uh, talking cat in the movie. Uh, he, Keith David's amazing. Oh, he's my got, God. He's got a voice that, like, I mean, anybody would kill for. Uh, he was in The Thing, They Live, Nope, uh, Tales from the Hood 2, The Princess and the Frog. He plays, uh, what's the character's name, Dr. Facilier? Is that, <gasps> is that, uh... <laughs> wait, 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 are you talking about the... Um... What do they call him? Uh, the the voodoo man or something? Yeah, yeah, the voodoo man. He's oh the my voice god! Of that character. Oh my god! I didn't know. Uh, he was in Community. Played a very good uh, character in that. Actually, he was in it twice. As two, di- they they kind of hint he was the same character, but he wouldn't really. They kind of brought him back afterward. It's a whole thing. Uh, he was he you know, he's obviously a voice actor with the voice that he's got. Yeah. Rick and Morty. He plays the president. Uh, he's been in Mass Effect. I think also maybe the president that because he's got a very authoritative voice. Uh, he was in Saints Row. You were the president. He was your advisor in that game. Okay. Uh, and then on and on and on. So Keith David's very very popular in a lot of stuff. So I uh, know uh, I know this is supposed to be a thing. I know this is what Disney does. But there is one guy that looks and speaks like the Voodoo Man. Uh, who walks around Disney? Um, obviously, they hired him to do that, and I'm like, "Holy crap! Does that guy have an opportunity then as a voice actor? Like, uh, he won't be as known though, which sucks. I feel so bad for the little ones." You know, <laughs> he probably he probably does have a chance later. I mean, because I mean, if Keith David ever decides to stop, you know, uh, yeah. acting, then he's probably got an in right from the get go. And mean, he's younger, cause... but still, oh my god, yeah, he does have an amazing voice. That's insane. Uh, John Hodgman is playing Charlie Jones and the other father, uh, who is a writer and self-absorbed dad in this movie. Uh, he's just, uh, John Hodgman's done uh, lots of voice work. He was in the Venture Brothers, Adventure Time, DuckTales, the new series, etc. Uh, he was obviously, for people of a certain age, the, one of the correspondents on The Daily Show. Wow. He was in one of uh, Urena's favorite movies, Baby Mama. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was like the the doctor in that that movie. Oh my god! 
uh, and he was in uh, also in Community for one episode where he played a psychologist, which was a hilarious episode where he he pulled a a, a Buffy like there's an episode of Buffy where like she gets like uh, affected by like this this poison that like one of the creatures she she hits uh, like seeps into her skin and it makes her think that she is in an insane asylum in the real world and that all the stuff that she dreamed up about vampires, demons, and all that never really happened and it's all in her head, which is a really good episode. And they don't really ever, at the end of the episode, confirm which reality is the real one, which is really nice. Uh, They kind of did a take on that community where uh, John Hodgman is used as a psychologist to gaslight the main characters and tell them that they've all been in a mental institution the entire run of the show and that everything that they came up with was all in their head in the, in the mental institution, which is pretty hilarious. Uh, and then he's also one of the, uh, the tenors or whatever their name is, the group of older guys that sings in pitch perfect too, whenever they do that little battle sequence, you know, at, uh, at the house. So it's kind of an interesting, I think David Cross is the one that's, uh, that's putting that on at the time. Oh of that my movie. god! Um, also, why does John Hodgman look like the dad in Carline? <laughs> uh, actually, they they tried to make. If you notice, uh, Terry Hatcher kind of looks like the mom. Oh my god! Yeah, the characters they kind of made the characters look like the voice actors, except for one notable thing, which is in the trivia. But I'll go ahead and say it now. They he didn't like between Jennifer Saunders and Don French. Uh, Selleck didn't like how they sounded for their individual people that looked like them. So he had them swap. So the short fat one, which would have been Don French is how she looks in real life. He made her the tall, you know, busty lady in the <laughs> movie. And then like he's made Jennifer Saunders, who's tall and busty in real life. He made her the short fat one. So he kind of switched them out, but everybody else kind of looks like their character in a way. Oh, well, I'm going to say that it worked, which is weird. And yeah, um, I know Henry Selick, and I shouldn't be saying this now. It's it should be in trivia, but he had said, um, "Oh no, I'm thinking of a different. I'm thinking of a different movie." But ultimately, it was the same thing as what I'm thinking of. Is they built the characters to, or they built the movie kind of around the voice uh, acting, which is insane. Well, I mean. That actually works out better. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. got like a certain personality that you feel is perfect for the role, that makes it a lot better than, I mean, especially if you're dealing with like Hollywood actors and not voice actors, because voice actors, they can modulate. They can go either, you know, they can yeah. do whatever they need to do. Voice act, I mean, regular Hollywood actors, they've got a, they've got a range. And I mean, and, and voice works completely different. They can't, I mean, because a lot of actors rely upon their facial stuff and all that, which obviously without, you know, some kind of green screen is not going to come across. Yeah. So they have to, I mean, you're better off if you're going to hire Hollywood actors uh, to just actually have them play a part that's similar to them. That way you don't have to worry about that not really matching up. Yeah. Uh, Robert Bailey Jr. plays Wyborn Wybie Lovat, uh, who is Coraline's friend, <laughs> question mark. Uh, she treats him like shit, and he's kind of scared of her, but I think they're friends by the end of it. Uh, he was in Malibu Horror Story, Alone in the Dark, from 2022 on Tubi, which is a Tubi original. Uh, they are, they're doing that now, apparently. Uh, and then the Night Shift TV series. <clears throat> Uh, and then f- finally, Ian McShane plays Mr. Sergey Alexander Bobinski and other Bobinski, who is a Chernobyl cleanup crew <laughs> member <laughs> and the upstairs neighbor for Coraline. 
And of course, Ian McShane's also got a fabulous voice and gets cast on a ton of things because of it. Uh, he was obviously in John Wick. He was the one that ran the Continental. Uh, he was in uh, Deadwood. He, I mean, that's where he's famous from because, I mean, as uh, Ed Swearingen, he really, like, chewed through the scenery. And then uh, they cast him uh, in another Neil Gaiman-inspired uh, uh, story, American Gods. He was uh, Mr. Wednesday in that which, a uh, little spoiler for that, uh, Wednesday is actually a bastardization of Odin's day. So you <laughs> can kind of guess if he's Mr. Wednesday, what God he is. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, synopsis. An 11-year-old girl is uprooted from her home in Michigan and transplanted to an isolated apartment in Ashland, Oregon. Bored and missing her friends, she meets a strange young man named Wybie and discovers that there is something dangerous about her new home. With her real parents neglecting her, Coraline discovers a new family and a magical world that give her the attention and love she craves. Things are not as they seem, however, as the other mother soon demands Coraline replace her eyes with black buttons and permanently join her other family, forsaking the real world. Remember, the braver you are, the more you'll see. <laughs> this movie's fucking creepy. <laughs> it is. There is so much hidden creepy shit in this movie. Yeah, we'll get into that when we start discussing it here in the review section. Mm -hmm. Uh, quotes, uh, Coraline Jones, uh, I almost fell down a well yesterday, mom and her mother typing. Uh-huh. And Coraline, I would have died and mother. That's nice. <laughs> I put that in there cause that kind of shows how neglected and like, yeah. she, uh, she is. I mean, at this point in the movie in an uh, old broke, like creaky, nothing to do house. It's fucking always raining in Oregon. Uh, they don't uh, want her playing in the mud. Yeah, it's always raining, misty, nasty outside. They live in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's nothing around them for miles, I mean, except for their neighbors. Yeah. Who are very eccentric and definitely not Coraline's age, so she has nobody to really hang out with. No, and the one uh, kid she does, she could hang out with, she's not taking to. <laughs> As an example of this, Wybie Lovat. I'm Wybie, Wybie Lovat, Coraline Jones, Wybie. Short for Wyborn, not my idea, of course. What do you get saddled with? I wasn't saddled with anything. It's Coraline. Caroline what? Coraline. Coraline Jones. Loby, uh, or YB Lovat. Hmm, it's not real scientific, but I heard an ordinary name like Caroline can lead <gasps> people to have ordinary expectations about a person. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Coraline. Uh, Coraline Jones, how can you walk away from something and then come towards it? cat walk around the world Coraline Jones small world yeah um, <laughs> very small world in the case that she's in um Coraline jo Jones on the other mother why does she want me uh you know like that's a and then and then the other mother you know you could stay forever if you want to there's one tiny thing we have to do first other mother screaming don't leave me don't leave me I'll die without you yeah um <clears throat> which is insane cat. because that specific don't leave me. I'll die without you. There is anger. There's desperation. There's fear. Yep. All in one scream, which is so fucking creepy. <laughs> it's a testament to uh, Terry Hatcher. That yes. she got, I mean, got and the people who are directing her, because obviously they've got to make sure that they get that out of her. So, yeah. Cat, uh, she wants something to love, I think, something that isn't her, or maybe she just uh, loves something to eat. Coraline Jones, eat? That's ridiculous. Mothers don't eat daughters. 
cat. I don't know. How do you taste? I, and then he laughs. I love that one. And it's so funny because I always joke about eating my kids. I'm like, why did you, why did I have you if I can't eat you, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they just look at me like, you're weird. <laughs> All right, movie review. Because, I mean, there's not a lot. Actually, the weird thing about the movie is there's not a lot of spoken dialogue in the movie for good chunks of it. It's mm-hmm. a lot of visuals. And that's where we're going to start out with. The visuals in this movie are amazing. Oh, my God. They can't be beat. Like, if you, I mean, it's one of those movies where, like, I've heard all these things about like if you're wanting a four if you're wanting to show off a 4K player or what 4K can you know achieve to like people who are just like oh the DVD's fine uh, you know like they they always say get a, like a classic black and white movie which look really good off you know whenever they're like resed up to 4K this movie beats all of them because mm-hmm. like the 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 textures on all the things that they put in this movie just stand out so much. And the colors that they use stand out. Not necessarily in the real world because it's all gloomy. Yeah. But whenever they go to the other world where it's supposed to be bright and colorful, like they just pop. Like every single color in this just pops out and stands out, especially that tunnel effect that she's going into the other world. Yeah. Which for anybody who's lucky enough to see this in 3D or can still watch it in 3D, that scene is great. Like it looks so good when she's going through that tunnel into the other world because I – I remember watching this when it came out in theaters in 3D, and this was around the same time as My Bloody Valentine 3D, and both movies like were amazing with their yeah. 3D usage. <clears throat> I and, did not get to see this in theater, uh, but however, rewatching it again, we've seen it a million times in this household. This is definitely an official rewatch for La Arena, but um, the, the kids just saw it in the theater. We'll go into that later. And then we're watching it at home, and my daughter's like, why does it look so gray? First off, don't be rude. With our old-ass TV, we don't have the DVD. We don't have a DVD player anywhere in this house. But, yes, um, it it was very sad for the children yesterday, having seen it in the theater and then on our old-ass TV, watching it from our Plex account, uh, even though it's the DVD one, our TV was not built for it. And it even said on our Plex, it's like, hey – if you get Plex, I don't know, it's some kind of upgrade or something. Like you, it'll mo- it'll modify this so the colors will be more vibrant. Your TV's not adequate for this, and I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't appreciate this movie until you've seen it either in 4K on a good setting mm-hmm. or you've watched it in the theater where they're optimized for it. I mean it it really it really stands out. Now, I mean, even in the 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 real world where it's gray and stuff, just the fidelity, mm-hmm. the cl- the cleanness of like how like it, you know, like the images just stands out like tremendously. It's like I mean, it is the best stop motion I've ever seen as far as the effects goes. I mean, just yeah. the, the visually, and that's no like disrespect to any of the Leica films because. The one thing I love about Leica films is while there may be a similarity or two between the films, I heard that there was a similarity, one or two similarities from Coraline to Kubo, is they have their own visual settings and they don't mimic each other. They're not like, oh, well, this worked here. Let's do it in here. They all visually, like, for instance, Coraline has the world of, you know, Ashland, Oregon, which Looks just like that, by the way. That's how Ashland, Oregon is. And then they have the vibrancy of the other world because it makes you want to be there. Whereas Kubo has the adventure that they're on and they go through different like climates of, you know, hot weather and cold weather. And 
while still looking vibrant, they're able to portray that on screen. Yeah, and like my other favorite one because I still need to see watch. I need I still need to watch box tro- box trolls Same. and, and uh, Kubo, uh, Paranorman. Like, oh my I mean, god! I, I I love that movie, but like it's 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 its own thing. And like I mean, the the visuals are great in that too, but they're very specifically like fall. Co- you know like oh visuals. yeah like i mean you know the trees are kind of dead there's a orange look to everything because of the you know the time of year it is this movie stands out just because i mean the purples and the the deep reds and everything else in the other world i mean it really i mean they really do a good job so yeah um like that scene in particular where uh the other father like takes Coraline up on the grasshopper tractor thing and like shows her what he's made for in the, in the garden and it's like a version of her face using flowers yeah that's stunning like i mean it looks amazing it does you know um as far as the story goes this story is way darker than it has a right to be and that's i think why we love it if it if it was more sugary, like a Disney movie, I think it would have came and went, and nobody would have cared much about it. Yeah, um, and the funny thing is that this this movie is a very lightened up version of the book. I don't know if you've read it. I have it. I whipped it out yesterday. I'm like, I need to read this book. <laughs> I have not read it yet. Okay. No. Well, from what I heard from uh, Neil himself, is that he had a hard time getting the book published. He was told specifically. <laughs> Uh, movie horror for children does not exist. And he actually wrote that book for his daughter. I am so glad he was persistent and found somebody to put it out. And not only that, then they had trouble with the film getting that (laughs) released or someone take it on. Well, I mean, look at some of the things you've got in the movie. You've got, I mean, we'll just start out with it because me and you both noticed this on, I mean, just on a recent rewatch. There's a, when she goes, Coraline goes to the beginning of the movie when she's first in Ashland and she's got nothing better to do. She goes out with a dowsing rod and she's trying to find water or whatever. And she's trying to find this secret well that's on the property. And she happens upon a fairy ring. I mean, it's like, if anybody doesn't know that's in, you know, Celtic lore, that's like a ring of mushroom, perfect ring of mushrooms yes. that just happens to grow out in the middle of nowhere. And she stands in the middle of them. Now, if you go according to the, I mean, don't don't listen to the people that sit there and claim this stuff now about how it's protect the fairies inside the ring are protecting you or any of that bullshit. In the ancient Celtic lore, if you stepped inside a fairy ring, you were trapped by the fae and you could even be taken over to their world, which is the other world. And so they're telling and Gaiman's telling you right at the beginning of the movie that Coraline is going to be transported to the, the Fae world. That's what that's what happens in the movie. Oh, okay. Because she steps inside that fairy ring, and and she does it. And even whenever Wabi, you know, which in, is great visually, like he scream, you know, honks the horn, and like is you know in this skeletal like outfit with that you know welder's mask on for a helmet. Like whenever he comes rip roaring down the hill toward her, and like kind of knocks her down. Like even at that point, she's still within the fairy ring. She never leaves it. Like she's oh. still trapped inside of it. So shit. Um, it's so I mean it's setting up with that. That's not even counting the fact that, that that's this is not the true beginning of the movie. The true beginning is showing this doll floating in yes. from like you know outer space, and it gets and it gets mutilated and changed, literally turned inside out, and made into a replica of Coraline because that's uh, the Bell Dam 
basically, uh, you know, creating a doll that she can use to spy on and manipulate Coraline Mm -hmm. into coming in her world. Which is Um, wild because, uh, okay, I only noticed this because the deep dive I went on. But, yes, they are literally, the doll is a previous child that the Beldam had killed. She's one of the ghosts. She was also a little, a little black girl. She was, she was of color. She was the grandma's uh, twin sister in the movie. The one who owns the pink palace. And you just said it. I didn't notice. I mean, I did notice that they turned it inside out. I wonder if that has anything to do with them turning it inside out where it's lighter on the inside. That's probably exactly why they turned it on the yeah, inside. Which I know there's a deleted scene the kids told me about, not to go off of this too deep right now, but there's a deleted scene of uh, Coraline asking if Wyborn's grandma was, was colored, and it got deleted for obvious reasons. I think they were, had to be careful. I know there is a actual reason, though, not being racist, why she was asking in terms of um, probably because of one of the ghosts that she encountered. So, Which brings up another dark, facet of the story uh, the children are dead that mm-hmm. were previously targeted by the bell dam and the scene at the end of the movie when she's not seeing the glamored up or you know uh, illusionary version of the tunnel mm-hmm. the actual like musty crappy you know yeah. collection of junk the dead kids belongings are inside that tunnel and possibly a body or a torso yeah yeah, yeah. it's fucking so, wild um, so basically the gist of the story is, is that this creature, this witch slash fae, I've, I've heard it described both ways. Yeah. Uh, in another reality, the, the fae world is targeting these children, just like the fae do in the ancient Celtic stories and trying to get them to leave their parents by enticing them with like gifts and food and like all this, all these other things so that they'll stay there. And so, and, and typically in the, the ancient Celtic lore, they would replace them with a, with another child called a, cha- and that's where you got the, the term, the changeling. Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, which was like a soulless husk that just lived out the rest of its days, looking like the child when the child was really trapped, you know, in the fey realm. And that's basically what this, what this happened in Coraline. She's getting enticed to stay in this other world so that the bell dam can actually feed off of her essence. And, yeah. And turn her into a spirit. I feel like, uh, uh, I feel like changelings, uh, and the fact of soulless children, I feel like that came primarily from redheaded children. I'm just going to throw that out there. And I mean, it's kind of Irish and Scottish folklore. So, I mean, you know, um, I don't think I'm wrong. I think there's another explanation besides the redheaded stuff. Um, I'm sure there is. is. Though, if your kid came back with bright red hair, then or was born that way, they they used to claim that. If oh the, my god! If the space of the family was like dark haired, which you know, but they didn't realize that you know genetics can skip generations and it's a recessive gene. So uh, there is that because they would say that redheaded people were born of red caps, um, but. Uh, the the darker theory now is that maybe those kids were autistic <gasps> and the and the family and you know because they don't they have trouble showing emotions yeah and the family thought that you know abandoned them because they thought they were changelings that's the dark theory now <laughs> that's so sad it probably that's more than likely what happened 
Um, the other, the other thing about fairy rings that I didn't realize until recently, just doing a little, little bit of a, it's not really deep dive, but just like a surface level look about those, uh, because somebody in Appalachian, uh, Facebook group, like I told you, a fair posted like a perfect fairy ring picture, like in the middle of like this town park, um, is that I didn't realize this. Apparently if like a tree has been removed from a property, like, and you can't even see the stump, but like the roots are still underneath the, the, uh, mushrooms grow up because they're feeding off of the nutrients from the dead, decaying tree matter. Oh my underneath. God. So that's the reason it's in a ring because it's in the shape of the stump that's underneath the ground. Oh, that's so funny. Um, but you can imagine like being freaked out if you lived in ancient times and didn't oh, know yeah. this and you were out in the middle of this grassy field in the middle of a forest and there's a perfect ring of mushrooms. Like that would scare the shit out of you. It's <laughs> like circles don't form naturally in nature like that, you know? Yeah, that's uh, a hell of a Well, apparently they do for <laughs> under certain circumstances. Well, I mean, like they, well, they do, but I'm saying like yeah. they don't like, I mean. They don't just do it with, without uh, just, some kind of cause. Yeah, without something else like, you know, kind of creating that so it's like i mean it's uh it's it's kind of weird like i mean it's just a weird phenomenon so like i mean it's you know like i i, I can understand why they would be afraid of that sort of thing that's hella funny yeah because <laughs> that's what happens when we put the fear in our children you know <laughs> well and a lot of this stuff came from like you know parents that were like fed up with their kids and wanting them to shut up so they would tell them stories to kind of scare them and keep them in line you know it's like if oh you yeah go outside at night one more i mean they sometimes it's based on real reasons like you know if, if your children went out at night there was like wolves or something else that would get oh them. yeah so you'd, you'd make up something that was like even scarier than a wolf it's like oh the bell dam will get you if you yes. go outside at night you know so i mean well and which, also too speaking of that if you notice that in the movie the other the other world was always at night no matter yes. what time of day it was yeah that was discussed on the de- on the deep dive that i went down um and, and the moon too having if you pay attention in the movie you could see the moon quotation mark phase and there is a lot of different theories about whether that affects Coraline or the Bell Dam. Technically, it can affect both of them, I think, in terms of how yeah. much time Coraline has left a GTFO, but also how much time the Bell Dam has to fucking get her before she dies. <laughs> because she's been decades without a child because the owner, which is the black grandma, was not allowing children to stay in that house, but for some reason allowed Coraline. Like, you get that little white girl. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's really weird that, like, she didn't notice that Coraline was, because she had a policy, and that's the reason that the, the death stopped for so long. Mm-hmm. She had a policy of not renting that apartment out to anybody who had children. Why suddenly did, is it's like almost like the Bell Dam cast like a glamour on the grandmother and like prevented her from seeing the fact that the, there was a child in this situation or something. Well, a lot of people theorize that it's because she had an of age grandson that could have been a victim. So to prevent him from being taken, oh, she, she put in place. Let, it was like a sacrifice. Yes. yes. Nice little dark theory there, huh? Yeah, well, I want to go back on something I said about circles not being natural. They're obviously natural. What yes. I meant is the space clearing in between. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know, like, that's what I meant, like, the perfect circle within, like, the... Because why would there be a clearing of mushrooms? They could just grow across the entire thing. You exactly. Know? So um, I'm sure that part of the fear of that, too, was that some idiot decided to eat the mushrooms and probably got a little fucking la-la-loopsie, if you will, 
And they're like, don't stay away from the mushrooms, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, Usually, and that's the other thing too, this is a weird fact. Apparently most mushrooms that grow in circles like that into great fairy rings are inedible. There, there's like some kind of poisonous yeah. thing to them. That's kind of weird. Like that there's no edible mushrooms that really do, or that there are the likelihood is very rare that they would do that. So. Who fucking decided which mushrooms were edible and which ones weren't? Like how did that get figured out? You know, it's just like everything in, in else in human history. Enough people were foolish enough to try it until they were like, avoid that. That's fine. Avoid that. My grandfather ate that, and he he lived, so yeah. that's fine. So we're going to um, be okay. That's so funny. Same thing. Same thing with almonds. Like if you pick them at just the wrong time when they're not completely ripe, they're they're cyanide <gasps> at that point. So I always think of the amount of dead people that were lying at the base of this almond bush yeah. or tree, or however it grows, and somebody was like. I think I'm going to try it now. I, yeah. I, I know everybody else has died, but I think I'll try it. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. That's fucking insane. Um, I feel like we we seeped into this from visuals to story. We kind of just leaked into the storyline of this. Well, I mean, we could sit there and talk about the visuals all day. But oh, the yeah. story is the part that really. Oh, my God. I feel like. I, I feel like the, t- I mean, because the visuals of Nightmare Before Christmas are great too. And, yeah. And don't get me wrong, the story is a classic, but like Coraline in particular is taking on its own, like, you know, part in, you know, pop culture far outside of anything other that, that Like a Studios has done. I mean, I know they're popular, but like mm-hmm. when you mention the names of Like a Studio stuff, it's like Paranorman, I never heard of it. Uh, whatever that Bigfoot one that they did was, never heard of it. Kubo, you might get a few people, yeah. but then you mentioned Coraline. They're like, oh, yeah, I saw that movie, you know. Hopefully so. when you hear Leica Studios and you hear Coraline is from Leica Studios and you hear about those other movies, I hope it makes people want to watch them because they are all amazing stories, visually stunning, and really good child. Well, some of them are child horror. I can't speak for Missing Link and, um, oh, God, there's another one. Um there's a few of them. Hold on. Uh, Missing Link and Box Trolls. I know my kids like them, but I don't know in terms of horror where they stand. So just lots yeah. of life lessons in Leica Studios. Uh, Leica Studios, when they took on Coraline, I'm sorry, but they blew the visuals of Nightmare Before Christmas out of the water. Well, they, they did. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking years difference, but even other movies haven't blown Coraline out of the water. That Leica well, did. A- that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, you could sit there and say, okay, yeah, clearly they blew out of the water Nightmare for Christmas 13 years difference between those two movies. I mean, there's going to be improvements. And they use, like, computer-generated stuff that they didn't have access yes. to in 1993 to kind of amp up the visuals. But they spent so much time getting the actual... Because you can tell it on the 4K. There is so much physical stuff in this movie. Not CGI. Yeah, correct. I mean, the only, the only CGI that I really noticed is whenever the other world is collapsing, you know? Yeah. And you can kind of see it. The the actual, like everything else, like the, the, the puppets they use for the main characters, the, the actual, like, you know, flowers, everything else is a physical creation. And oh, you yeah. can see the texture in it. Whenever you see it in high definition, it's wild. I I just okay. The kids they are like, please a Coraline too, and I was like, no, you don't want that because one, the writer of the book already said I will do a Coraline too when I can figure out something that's going to be better than the first Coraline, and he didn't say it, but I think we all know there's not. 
You know, it's going to be real hard, I think. This is why it took Beetlejuice so long to come out, and I'm not even going to compare the two. When it comes to a storytelling, Coraline's going to take the cake. But that it also took them seven years to fucking make this film, from getting someone to approve the script to getting it set up. And they're like, we physically cannot do it. They're like, they get scared. Like, even uh, when I heard about Leica Studios... I guess it requires the people to leave their family for years unless they're going to move their family with them wherever they're going to be working at that time. I've got it in trivia, but there's a few things where they were just talking about some of the background background stuff Mm -hmm. and how somebody, how many hours it took for somebody to make that stuff in the movie. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah, so we'll get into that, but uh, oh my God. Like, so uh, the chances of, I wouldn't, what I'm saying is I probably wouldn't want a second part to Coraline if they can't put the same kind of energy into it. And they sound, they get nervous when you talk about it, you know? Yeah, it's one of those things where they came out of the gate, they had something to prove, kind of like Rocky in the first movie. Yeah. He had something to prove. And it's like now that they've already, they proved they can do it, you know, the, they know the expectation is you've got to meet or beat that, you know, and they know how much effort they put into mm-hmm. doing it the first time. And they're like, uh, maybe we'll do that someday. Maybe. You yeah. Know? I think um, with other projects that they have going on, and it's not always the same people, but I think with other projects like it has going on, I think they have to focus on one at a time. It looks like they have two upcoming projects, but it looks like they're related to each other. It's called um, Wildwood, uh, which is expected to release sometime in 2025. And the Night Gardener, but they have them put together. Um, Those both sound really, really interesting mm-hmm. uh, just by the names because I can imagine them like if they're like mostly nature scenes that's inside of them, and yeah. especially if they've got like a magical bent that's going to be real, that's right up their alley. Like they could, re- we know from Coraline, they can really do that. Oh my God, I did not realize that they were contracted to do Corpse Bride. My my son told me that yesterday, and I was like, no, they didn't do Corpse Bride, son. He's like, oh, that's weird. I thought I read that somewhere. Yes, you did. My apologies. Uh, yeah, Corpse Bride is, I mean, that's another reason. Like, Corpse Bride might have came after, but, like, you know, the visuals, eh, they, they were good. Don't get me wrong, but they were obviously drained of color because that's how the movie was supposed yes. to be. Except for the other world in that one, too. Yeah. Which is a weird, Well, Tim, you know, Tim Burton. We're talking yeah. Tim Burton. So. But I mean, but like the I don't know it. It we've discussed we already discussed this the corpse bride. We I mean we actually had that on our uh, yeah ghost season to a certain extent. It the story's good, but it's kind of bland. It's not like Coraline. It's not no. like you know you know it doesn't have that you know just punch to it. It doesn't have uh, the darkness that Coraline brings because the writer specifically said himself when I wrote the story, which he wrote for his daughter, he said. I wanted to show what a child is supposed to be doing in the face of fear and doing the right thing. So he wanted to express fear and doing the right thing. And holy shit, did he nail it. (laughs) 
Yeah, there, there's a point in the movie where she escapes the other mother, and I mean, that's part of the story, too. And you think, it's like, okay, she's gotten away. And it's a it's a last-minute escape. Like, the, that's when the other mother's screaming, don't leave me, I'll die. Yeah. And like, she's, you know, trying to grab Coraline, and she barely gets through that tunnel, and which is all dusty and musty now. And then, like, when she gets to the other side, she locks it behind her. and But then she realizes her parents are no, nowhere to be found. So yeah. she has she has to travel back in there and risk her life one more time yeah. just to get her real parents back. And she's scared. She's So she has to show the emotion too. It isn't just a, it was the realization that my parents, I even though they're busy, I still love them, you know, um, mm-hmm. because they're in the process of trying to make and create a book so that they can have some money. <laughs> because they're running low on funds at this point. So they're really like, okay, we got to focus on this and then we can do what we need to do for our daughter, which is sad, but you know, uh, there's a lot. I mean, the real world stuff of this actually hits home more like an adult. Like whenever you watch as an adult, because you realize these parents are, you know, ignoring their kids because of work, which is a thing. It happens. Yeah. And I mean, and then the scene where Coraline's (laughs) wanting just a simple, you know, $25 $25 pair of gloves oh, or, yeah. you know, or, and, and like her, or mittens and her mother's like, no, you can't. And it's not because she doesn't want her to have them. It's because they're broke and yeah. she can't afford them. They can't because really. She, yeah. They show, they make a point of showing her mother looking at the discount clearance rack. So yeah. she can at least get some clothing for school for her daughter. Yeah. Like they're, they're getting, they can barely afford groceries at this point. So it's like, and she has to get uniforms for a private school that they have her in. And I'm like, mm, private school. Like, I get it, but fuck, you guys are poor right now. I don't know. Uh, and then the apartment they're staying in is clearly, you know, not the best. Yeah. I mean, so there's that. Because there's that whole scene where Coraline is, like, mashing the centipedes, millipedes. Yes, all over the shower. Little, yeah, that's so nasty. Oh, and my I'm God. Like, With yeah. her hands. Fucking wild-ass kid. No, Coraline, <laughs> when she walks in, she, you know, like I said, she realizes what she lost with her real parents. Uh, and she goes through the whole, she's scared. She obviously, she doesn't want to go right back. I wouldn't either. She just escaped literally in her opinion. Hell comes back to an empty house, empty, cold house, groceries weeks old, according to. Yeah. That's the thing that threw me off because like when she comes back, her mother had just stepped out for like a moment to get like those groceries. And when she steps back from the other world at that point, the groceries are on the table, but they've been rotting mm-hmm. for like at least a week or more. And it's like, okay, so we've, she spent a lot of time in that other world. And it's just like, you know, almost like in the concept of like, you know, in the show Supernatural, like when you go to hell, like you might be gone for a day, but it's like centuries, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hell, it's the same kind of thing with the other world. Like when she's gone just for like, what's maybe like 15 minutes in the movie, uh, ends up being like a week or more in the real world. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of the story, The Thief of Always, um, where nothing's really real in the other world, but time is fucking traveling, is moving way faster in the real world, which would have led her parents to desperately look for her, which might have opened that door because her mom knew she was going through that door. That's probably how the parents got into that other world. 
here's another darker thing. Just imagine how long those post poor ghost children had to suffer, uh, you know, in that other reality, or I mean, like, or just think about it, like they're in the real world, things like shot by super quickly, mm-hmm. but they were, you know, like time was kind of slowed down in that other oh, reality yes. where they lingered for years, having their essence drawn off, you know, yeah, so. before they finally, Oh my God. Um, also, there is theories that some of the magic of the other world might have seeped into the real world, which is why the plants are growing at the end. Well, yeah, that too. But um, so much the, like maybe Coraline was only gone for fifteen minutes ish, and the other mother made it look like the groceries were rotted, or oh, yeah. when the Did... snow was melting off of the parents at the end, and they don't notice, you know put the glamour out there as i like to call it yeah i mean because that's like an old word for like an illusion like that makes things either look better or worse and kind of fuck around with a person's mind yeah. exactly so yeah that i mean like i said many theories that go along with this film uh that poor little girl she goes into her parents room she's crying she makes a little mock-ups pillow yeah pillow yeah. parents if you will and just lays in the middle of them and cries until she realizes i have to get up and i have to save my parents and well the cat kind of bats her in the face to be like, wake up, bitch. You're going to make this happen because they're going to die if you don't, you know? And that that's the only moment that, that kind of is a cheat in, in like her whole redemption arc at the end of it, as mm-hmm. far as her, like not being a little brat, basically is that she's trying to save those ghost children. And she technically loses because she, the one, the, the mice disappear with the last ghost child's mm-hmm. eye and it's the cat that ends up saving her in that sense. So it's like, mm, okay, but it's fine because, I mean, the, she needed some help at that moment. So I think it kind of works because they make the impression that the cat and the Baldum do not like each other. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like yeah. She, for whatever reason, which is, this is a weird thing, that she hates the cat, meaning, or, you know, cats in general. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of a weird, like, uh, folklorish type thing, too, but I think that goes more toward like maybe ancient Egypt or something where they would keep cats around to keep like out evil spirits because they knew that, that, and, and like even Stephen King's played into that. There's that movie, uh, 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 Stephen King's sleepwalkers, I believe. The oh name of yeah. It, there's like these, uh, weird, uh, they almost look like cat like creatures yeah. themselves, but cats are the thing that will kill them. If yes. they, you know, it's and, so and weird. So, yeah. So there's a little bit of folklore in that sense too, that cats, are like the mystical, you know, like saviors or whatever, or defense against that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, um, do we want to go? I was going to say, oh. I was just going to say that, like, to back up our thing about the best stop motion. Now, recently, Shudder has came out with a Phil Tibbet, uh, 20 year or more, like, you know, uh, stop motion production called uh, Mad God that just recently came out. And don't get me wrong, it's visually amazing. And if you're, you know, but it's very dark. It's like this. Like, what if World War II had never ended type reality where people like the war, like humanity was caught in this perpetual, like we're going to kill each other in the trenches or by whatever, you know, horrible means we can. And like when we do die, we don't ever, we just get recycled. And it's like this hellscape basically of like constant war and death. It's, but it's all visuals and the plot. I mean, there is one, but like you have to really look for it. And I mean, it, and don't get me wrong, like I admire the skill that he's got in it, but I, I still think this is a better movie just because it's an easier watch. 
and the story is more defined. It's like a lot easier to get into. Yeah. You, you, you really have to, you, Mad God, it's whatever you put into the movie. I've heard people praise it as like the best thing ever. And like me, I watched it and I'm like, I get it, but like, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Oh, wow. It's, it's just like, I mean, if you just want to see horrible things being done to like, uh, puppet versions of human beings, then watch Mad God because every, like them being eaten by larger creatures, being tortured by other little puppets that look like human. It's just on and on and on, just misery. Like that's all it is. Like you know, and and it's supposed to re- represent. I think the the concept of that that movie is that when when World War Two happened, God was so disgusted with humanity, he turned his back on us and left left us in a purgatory hell. That you know we can we can never we he closed heaven uh, and we just get recycled back on the earth to or something like that. So wow. you're just seeing you're basically seeing hell like for yeah, eternity. That's like, what it know, sounds so. like. And it's not. I mean, it's you know obviously watch it. I mean the, they put a lot of effort into it, but at the same time, I'm just like I I'm good. I, I saw it and I don't need to see it again. Yeah. Uh, Whereas Coraline, it's like you, yeah, I mean, it, it's just great. Like the, the story they're trying to put behind it, the visuals, which I still think in higher fidelity look better than Mad God. But that's just because Mad God's all about like the, just the drab, the gross, like there's, yeah. there's nothing colorful in that world because it's not meant to be other than like blood. Like yeah. that's, that's the only color you get really. Everything's like a, a, a mud uh, brown or some kind of gray like people you know like even like human beings like, i mean there's actual humans in the movie at one point and they're all like is like deathly you know like white skin look you know like they're you know undead or something so yeah i still think that Coraline beats that just because of the the visual pop that you get from all the colors and stuff you can't you can't you just i i just hate to oh, i don't hate to say it Coraline. It, everybody knows it's either the movie to try to match, but I don't think anyone really tries to beat it. And I don't like people think I'm sure with mad gods that be like, well, we're making our own thing, not related at all. But when it comes to stop motion, I'm sorry, you're going to be compared to, to Coraline these days. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a different scenario. It depends on what you're looking for, but I'm just saying as far as watchability and just in general, like a, a likable movie, Coraline's got it beat, so uh, that edges it out. Even if you want to say uh, the underlying message that Phil, you know, Tibbet put in Mad God is like so much, like you know, more meaningful than anything Coraline. Because <laughs> really, the message in Coraline's pretty humanistic and pretty, you know, relatable. So it's hard to say, okay, humanity sucks, you know, and, and Phil Tibbet's like world, and these are all the ways that we, you know, fucked each other over. I mean, you get some of that in Coraline. Like, I mean, like, neglectful parents. I mean, you know, Bobinski was, like, he worked on fucking Chernobyl. That's the reason his skin has, like, that horrible, like, yeah. blue, bluish-gray look Ugh. to it because he was, like, you know, exposed to all this radiation and it fucked him up, you know? And the the burlesque ladies, I mean, that shows, like, they've clearly fallen from their prime and they're always, like, living in the past in their minds, like, trying to, you know reconnect with that you know youth that they lo- that they no longer have so there, yeah. there's a lot of humanity in this movie oh absolutely uh, uh, humanity and definitely lessons i mean it's in the it's in the you know uh not i, I shouldn't say subtitle but like uh what do you call that you said at the beginning be careful what you wish for 
Yes, the tagline. The tagline. They never, as far as I know, they didn't have other ones. You can tell me otherwise. They had a few, but they were all just like the basic ones you put on there. It's like from the the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah. you know, that sort of shit. You know? Yeah, which is and so funny. One, and then the one I put at the end of the synopsis, which was uh, the braver you are, the more you'll see. I mean, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Fucking creepy. But uh, but even YB, like if you're talking about the story, I mean, like, you know, he, he doesn't, he, he you can tell that he's, just by his mannerisms, he's like a kid that has no confidence in himself because he's always slunk down. Yeah. Bad posture. His head's always like, you know, he's trying to hide his face all the time. Yeah. You know? And like his grandmother is his only like real, uh, you know, connect, human connection besides Coraline in the movie. So, uh, and then whenever, and especially whenever you see the other world version of YB, like, I mean, the, the kid just gets, I mean, he's got a good heart, but he's just tortured. Like, yeah. I mean, so, Which is like, weird. I wonder how she got the uh, other world YB when she didn't really have the real world. I guess uh, she didn't have the real, uh, real world characters maybe that, either. Maybe that plays into your theory because she already had a YB made up ready to take his soul whenever he stepped foot yeah, inside the house Yeah, that is point. true. Uh, and what they do to that doll YB or to the other world YB is fucked up and creepy. Yeah, uh, pin his face into perpetual smile because he's always frowning. Not just that, uh, hanging his body up onto Bobinski's like a flag. Oh uh, well, yeah, there's that too, and uh, then there's the uh, removing his voice so that he can't speak, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, just all kinds of shit, and which might be a symbol of like how he is in real life. He talks a lot, but nobody listens to him. Yeah, which you is know? so fucking sad. <laughs> Sad, um, a little but, bit disturbing, you know. But that's what—that's why I think this movie resonates. Why I think it stands out uh, amongst all the other, like you know, like especially against the Corpse Bride and maybe even James and the Giant Peach. I know a lot of people love that story, but it, it's not spoke as much of like as far as the stop motion stuff that came out. And I mean, Nightmare has it because of the great songs and like the, obviously the visuals of like a, a Halloween town. It's got. It's got the link to Halloween that'll always keep it in the public mind, but Coraline doesn't need that. Because oh yeah, Coraline's, Coraline's got the visuals. It's got the the actual story behind it that resonates. That's that's why it's you know it, it's I would I would I'm with you. I think that it maybe I mean I personally watched Nightmare and like Nightmare better, but that, I think that's more because of the the Halloween theme, yeah. and the songs in it. It's it's not because of the story at all. No, yeah, know? I think you you like them for different reasons, and I think that you have to. Um, you they they can't really be compared. Um, but Coraline can be compared to other Leica films, you know, like a Nightmare for Christmas is its own fucking entity, and it has it deserves the respect and the, the pedestal that it sits on, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I want to go into the voice acting. There was no, there was no voice actor that didn't fucking bring it. Yeah, there, there. Yeah, there's nobody I can think of now. I mean, you can. Well, I, you can't even say it about. I was gonna say there's certain moments where Dakota Fanning seems like she's one note, but no, like toward the end of the movie, she. You know, she might be a whiny, like, little brat at the beginning of the movie, but, like, that changes. So, oh, yeah. like, it's, you know, uh, Babinski, I mean, Ian McShane's great, uh, you know, and, you know, affecting that Russian accent especially. Um, the the two twins, Forcible mm-hmm. and, and, and Spink, Spink or whatever their names yeah. are. Uh, 
they're they're great for what they're supposed to be representing. Um, the uh, and well, that's something else we didn't mention the look, but the look of the dad, like John Hodgman's great in both roles, but you can tell he's way more animated as the other father, which he's supposed yeah. to be. He, they made the real father look so like gross in the sense that like he's just shabby. He's got the dark circles around his eyes. He mm-hmm. looks sickly, and and that, that makes sense because he never gets outside. He's always slumped over his typewriter, so he's got a bad posture. Mm-hmm. And you know, and 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 just like, and the Terry Hatcher looks fine if not just pale like in the real world. Mm-hmm. And you can tell there's more color in the version in the other world. But anyways, like. Uh, but she's way more like she's just she's very and and that's something that you can't appreciate about her until you see the until you look at the comparison. In the real world, she's just you know bitchy, you know, kind of you know you know just uh, waves her hands at you know weight stuff like kind of flat. But then like in the other world, she's all bubbly until she needs to be dark and then yeah. she's dark. So she really shows her range by the other mother and the bell dam more so than her portrayal in the real world you know? yeah uh and also the real mother well even the other mother for a small period of time thicker than a bowl of oatmeal that especially woman that, uh, that especially yes they are definitely packing some heat uh which is so funny but um terry hatcher so i listened to a episode where neil gaiman interview or gaiman interviewed her that was interesting uh <laughs> and she had said that she had a harder time playing the real mother because she had to hold back her enthusiasm, obviously, and she had to be a version of her that she doesn't want to be as a mom. Well, that makes sense. I mean, especially on the holding back because you can tell that, like, they're very, like I said, they're flat in the real world, but they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be like very, just like the world is, like dr- just drained. Like, yes. I mean, um. Their, you know, their work is like drained them. Their like finances have like, you know, drug them down like that. And and you don't appreciate that until you realize that she can do it on the other side, you know. And yeah, uh, you know, the, you know, and that that's the comparison between the two of them. Yeah, the other mother, believe it or not, until she has to be, you know, the evil mother, which she said she had so much fun doing. But she said she got to be a version of herself that she, you want to be as a mom. You want to be fun. You want to, you know, be kind and caring to your children and want them to always be happy, to you know, to a degree. <laughs> and I just found that so amazing. And then on top of that, you know, the the change of her voice, the pitch of her voice, um, Fucking amazing, which is like, I, I don't know a lot of voice work she had done prior, but holy shit, she hit it fucking out of the ballpark with this role. Yeah, she she done a really good job. I mean, like she's the I mean, if you want to look and do comparison, she's a standout. But she had to be to make the movie effective, because if the you know, if the Bell Dam or the other mother wasn't, you know, the personality, the forceful personality they were then the, the movie falls apart because it the story even plays into that. Like, the father in both realities is very subservient to the, to the mom. Yes. Like, I mean, it's it's night and day, like, you know, difference between the two of them. Like, he even, like, even when she comes in there, it's like, well, what did the boss say as far as, like, going outside or, or however he fights yeah. it? And she's like, uh, can't go out, mud. And he's like, well, you better not go out, you know, with that Don't sort of thing. Don't even think about it, Coraline Jones. <laughs> 
<laughs> where and even in like the the fake world whenever the the other father starts to feel bad for the fact that he's complicit and like trapping Coraline yeah like you know the the other mother's like you know manipulating him with a hand saying you better not speak or you you know you know what's going to happen to yeah. you yeah so, points up not- like the other mother's gonna hear you yeah, and and when he's on, when he's one of the bosses that she has to fight, because that's how I think of it. It's almost like a video game. Yeah, like when when she's looking for the eye, you know, that he has, uh, and he's on that grasshopper that starts attacking her, which is a crazy, creepy yes. scene in a sense. Um, he's like a dead body, just kind of strapped to that mm-hmm. machine. Like he he he's, I mean, you know, he doesn't have any. Like, you know, it, it's almost like he doesn't have a backbone, and it, it kind of fits the character in both realities because he's just, he, he's letting her, the other mother, control him like a puppet, you know. Yeah, and the mo- other mother does control him, but she's also losing her power. She's losing her ability. She has to put out as much energy to make the world what it is so Coraline wants to stay. And when it comes to keeping up the appearance of the dad, she's losing the ability to control him because she's losing her powers. She's getting desperate at this point. That That is true. And like, I mean, her, like even her version of him is kind of just, she's letting it go or, or she can't control it. Cause he's just, he starts to become like almost like a wax figure. Mm-hmm. Just like, you Literally know, starts just melting. Like face drooping. Like, I mean, he's just no longer like the, you know, proper structure, you know, like, you know, proper, uh, uh, just how he stands up, like posture and everything else, like he was before when you Coraline first meets him. Uh, I so it's pretty horrifying in the movie to see him like that. Like it's it's creepy. Then you got the creepy grasshopper on top of that. I heard what the other mother does to him in the book is far worse, more disgusting, and more horrifying. Like people were just like, "What the fuck?" They said it's one of the most creepiest, disgusting parts of the book of what she does to him because Coraline finds him in a basement in the book. What's supposed to happen to him? Do you know? Like, um, do you have any information on that? Just the way he looked, uh, body, like, I don't know if it was ripped apart. I can try to see if I can Google it. Um, let me see. Oops, if I can fucking... The, the, the other thing is, too, is that, like, I mean, it's it's there's it's kind of a weird movie in the sense that like the neighbors like themselves like i mean they're you know the upstairs i i don't know why these people like literally like the spink and and uh and 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 her sister i guess her sister her friend whatever they are like they they live in fucking like a dungeon like basement i don't know what that's supposed to represent about them like is there any theory on that that you've heard as far as like why they live in the basement or that you know or or why it looks like a a dungeon from the outside i mean like even the door to it looks like that who which character is he talking about the two, the two burlesque old women oh, or whatever. Um, that's because it's an apartment complex, um, which is weird. I don't, God, I'm wondering. Yeah, they do have basements in Seattle um, and Oregon. So uh, it was probably just to, to generate money. It like it's an it's another room that can be used. Well, as... I, I realize that they did that with an attic, basically for yeah. Babinski. But like, I don't understand why they like. I mean, if there's supposed to be any kind of like story represent for reason why, you know, maybe like Babinski is like in the attic because like he's got these lofty dreams of having like this circus of these jumping mice, and mm-hmm. then like 
the sisters, I, I don't, you know, there has to be something with the fact that they were underneath, like they, you know, like maybe they, you know, uh, I mean, cause their, their areas like below, like the, you know, yeah. the, the family, like, I don't, it's it, not like a hellscape necessarily, almost like, you know, just for maybe it's because they're forgotten because they're old, like they're tucked away. And, you know, that's where you take stuff that you don't need anymore. Either, you know, like, you know, you put stuff in the basement and just leave it there. You know, if you have one, yeah, maybe that's what's supposed to represent. I don't know. Um, I figure there was a reason why Neil Gaiman did that. But there is definitely know. a reason. I don't know. I mean, I'm not aware of it. And it's, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think, you, I think you're pretty spot on if I were to guess. Uh, because haven't heard any theories specifically about them. They're, they're, they, they have that whole acting persona going on. So it's almost like their apartment is like a theater. If you think about it, there's no windows. True. Yeah. Um, and like that's what they theater. were. Yeah, yeah. And that's what they were all about how they got placed there. Cause you don't really pick your apartment. It's weird. It's almost as if Coraline's family is in the main part of the apartment, you know? And then, yeah, of course, I'm, the other side of it's s- bricked off. I mean, well, the other physical thing you could say is because one of the sisters is obviously, you know, got difficulty, you know, walking without like a walker or whatever she's got. You know, obviously they would want the lowest section of the house so they'd have less steps to have to deal with. So that makes sense on that part of it. I mean, at least realistically, but. Yeah, but then they still kind of have to go up them. If you look at that staircase, it's pretty, it's pretty steep and there's quite a few steps, but uh I guess they didn't really think about that. But in the book and also in the film, they do everything with intention. Everything you see is intention. I saw a set of skis in a corner by the closet where the water heater was that Coraline accidentally turned off the the power in the house. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, what are those skis for? I don't know. Uh, because allegedly, well, not allegedly, spoken by Leica specifically, everything that is in this film is for a specific reason. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the meaning of those? Don't say something like that and then expect, like, someone who's watching it for the three millionth time to not be like, I saw that. What is that? And what is it for, you know? That, that reminds me of the the, the Asian director, uh, Japanese director, who did the uh, movie Perfect Blue uh, it's an anime, and we'll reveal it. We'll re- be reviewing it, in Human Horror, because that's what it is. It and it's a spiritual sequel, uh, live action sequel called The Black Swan. If yeah. anybody didn't know, but um, he mentioned something that stuck with me, and it, it's a good point. He says when you're doing a live action movie. Uh, sometimes there's just happy mistakes that happen that people like read too much into and you can kind of go with, or you can kind of use it to like, you know, make your story like, you know, more, uh, fulfilling, you Mm -hmm. know, like if there's like you were happy to film during the day and like, you know, something happened and the sun got covered up at like a pivotal, pivotal moment in the, like, you know, when the character was turning dark or something like that, that's like a happy mistake. But there's no such thing when you're doing anime or animation because you put everything into the movie. You control everything. So he says if you're making an animated movie, you need to make it with the intention that every single thing you put on screen has a meaning. Oh, yeah, because you're making everything by hand. Yeah, so everything needs to serve a purpose, even if it doesn't seem like it does. Yeah. And when he said that, that just blew my mind. I'm like, you're, you're right. Nobody thinks of that. And I mean, I guess it's because, you know, American animation, 
you know, when we think of like Disney where there's a lot of goofy shit on screen, like, you know, if you're watching say, uh, you know, the, the animated Hercules that came out, I Mm -hmm. mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background and all that. And maybe there was an intention there, but I think sometimes Disney specifically and Western animation does it just to fill out the screen. It's like to give the kids like something that'll like, you know, kind of like dangling a a keychain in front of them. Yeah. Hey, look over here. No, like, you know, true artists in, in animated movies, like, they put the stuff in there because, like, there's no point having it in the scene if it's not pertinent in some way to the story, character development, or whatever it happens to be. And yeah, and I, and I feel like Laika is, what you're, is exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. They've taken that and put it, put it to heart. It's like, we're not going to put all this effort in this, mo- this particular item in this scene unless it means something. I find it so fucking impressive that when Neil Gaiman and Henry Selick were looking for a studio to make this film, because at this point, Neil Gaiman was like desperate. He's like, please, please, like, we, we got to get this out, blah, blah, blah. He had already been fucking, he had just gotten the book out. He, he was like, please, like, we got to make this happen. If somebody, anybody. Leica wasn't even, it was a studio, but it wasn't. Like, they weren't doing anything major yet. This was their first major release. What a fucking movie to put them on the fucking map. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's both a blessing and a curse that you come out with your best, you know, work uh, right off the bat, and then it's like, or something so amazing, and then you have to spend the rest of your career kind of chasing that high, as it were. I mean, after Yeah, well, I feel like they don't, which is good. I think they realize Coraline, just like Nightmare Before Christmas, is its own entity. And if they focus all their energy on that, their other films are not going to do as good. They need, they do, I think they do realize that, hey, Kubo, this is a different world. And while we want it to be, you know, as impressive or Paranorman or the, I don't know, Box Trolls allegedly did really good. I'm sure it's not Coraline status, but I know kids all over fucking love and talk about it. I've never seen it. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't even know it was a Leica film, which is insane. Why would you not put your fucking brand out there like that? I guess they don't, you know? Yeah, you would think at this point all they have to do is stamp, you know, on a movie preview from the company that brought you Coraline, you know? Oh, like, yeah. That's all, they have to, that's all they have to do, you know? Um, Let me see. Um, I'm just going to, while you're looking that up, uh, move on slightly to the music. Uh, the music in this, especially the Coraline theme that plays throughout it, is oh my god, haunting and perfect for what it what the movie is. It's got a little bit of the whimsical to it, but it's got a little bit of sadness to it. Like you know, there's and and like and I think um, there was actually, and I've got it in the trivia, uh, the Talking Heads, like the pop group from the 80s, was yeah. actually the one that did that. What? And Yeah, the main theme to Coraline. And and people always attribute the like words that are being, you know, heard while the music's playing to like some kind of French like accent or something. No, it's gibberish. Like there is no, they're not <gasps> saying anything. Uh, it's, it's just, I thought it was French. No, everybody thinks it's French, but it's just gibberish to make it sound like there's, you know, something else to it, you know, besides Interesting. The- I fucking dig it. Like, I liked it before. I like it even more now because it maybe, 
it makes sense to me because Coraline is this crazy imaginative. It has this crazy imaginative world. Kids do that. They just hum random shit sometimes, you know? Yeah, that's what I was, that's what, that's what I was going to say. It, it, it's exactly what you just said. It's, it's uh, if you would imagine a kid who's going about their day and they're kind of like humming to themselves as they're, you know, imagining like, you know, all this stuff that's going on and, you know, being uh, creative like kids are, that's, that's what the music is. It's just, you know, a little tune that's playing in there in Coraline's head as she's going about her day is basically what it amounts to. And it fits perfectly. And in, the sadness of it, I think, fits perfectly too because she's clearly sad. So there's going to be a little bit of a sad, you know, you know, lonely sound to it yeah. because it kind of fits her personality at that 100%. time. One hundred percent. I'm surprised she's not the one who voiced it, but oh my god. Okay, so kind of just to put into perspective, Paranorman specifically, which was the next film after Coraline, was made for. Oh wait, no, it only earned. Oh, okay, it earned a total of 107. Uh, worldwide, but it doesn't say what it was made for. Hold on one second. Paranormal. Um, let me see. Okay, it was okay. It, so I had it right. It was made against a budget of sixty million, made one hundred and seven million, and it's pretty persistent moving forward. Box Trolls was made for sixty million, um, and made about a hundred and one. They're kind of staggering around that for the rest of the film. So they're not earning back double what it was, you know, made for, like Coraline did, which Coraline obviously made just another fucking five million just a few days ago. That's true. Unlike Disney, though, who tends to spend like three and, you know, like yes. 150, 200 million per, you know, Marvel movie and then spend another 300 million on top of that in advertising. Yeah. Laika Studios doesn't advertise quite no. that much. So, I mean, that profit's getting eat into by obviously advertising, but still they're making, you know, a good amount back and, and not enough to make them like, you know, uh, like a massive studio, but just enough to keep them, you know, funded for the next film. So that's, yeah. well, that's, that's that good. And hopefully to pay for these people to have a fucking good lifestyle. Well, you know, I would think that they would. I mean, because there's enough profit margin there. Uh, but they're not like, you know, uh, uh, Bob Iger level, mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah. living good. But, I mean, nobody needs to be living that good anyways, really. I mean, you know, because clearly he's a piece of shit. And I, I guess if you start living that well, you become morally, you know, corrupt. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, so that was our short tangent on budget and income. But going back to the music. So, yes, the, the Coraline song, the main theme of Coraline. But everything else involved, so fucking appropriate. And, like, I don't know if the music was made to fit the scene or if the scene was made to fit the music because that happens, too. That's how Nightmare Before Christmas was made. That was definitely how Nightmare, but that was a whole different situation that we'll get into whenever we cover that. That was a situation where uh, they were they had one guy writing the, the story, mm -hmm. and, and then they had – they told Danny and Danny Elfman was like composing the music and the guy who was supposed to be making the story, uh, spent all the money he was given up front to, uh, basically, uh, lock himself in a motel somewhere and snort all the cocaine in the world. Mm -hmm. And so whenever they actually needed the, they're like, where's the story? He's like, I don't know. Yeah. And like, you know, and then they went to, uh, Danny Elfman and he's like, my music makes a story. So let's just go from that. Yeah. That's how, that's how nightmare happened. 
I feel like this, because they already had the base story from Neil Gaiman, was a little bit more structured whenever it came to the scene. So the music was probably more, you know, like they, they're like, what works best in the scene? Yeah. And then the composer came in there and like, you know, uh, gave, I mean, it doesn't over, it never overpowers the scene. It only adds to yeah. this movie. Well, I mean, with, with Nightmare Before Christmas, the animators, obviously, that's all they had to go off of. And Henry Selleck, I think Tim Burton was just like, take it away. You know, which is kind of sad because when you think about it in perspective, Tim Burton gets so much credit for Nightmare for Christmas when in reality it was Henry Selleck. Moving forward, Henry and Coraline, Neil Gaiman kind of gave him the same reins. He was like, okay, you have my blueprint. Run with it. Well, and also people don't realize about Nightmare is at the same time that was being made, Batman was being made. So, uh you can say what you want to about Toby Hooper and I don't know this is jumping around, but Toby Hooper and uh, Steven Spielberg during Poltergeist, who was actually the one that directed that movie. Cause it feels a lot like Steven Spielberg's yes. movie, but uh, you know, Henry Selleck was clearly one running this because Burton, even though he had like the, I mean, it was his visual style. Yeah. He would come in and he would just look at it and say, that's cool. I need to get back and, you know, yeah. Jack again for this new scene in Batman. You oh, know? they hated it when he a- showed up because they were always afraid he was going to be like, nope. And he did. He'd said that to a few things, you know, which is like, yeah. it's sad because it's like, okay, but you, do you know the whole thing before you just said, no, I don't like that. Like what led you to just walk and be like, nope, gotta go. You know, because that's how they said it was. They made it seem like he would walk in, be like, yes, no, maybe so, and then bounce. Yeah, because he didn't have the time to sit there and really spin with it. So, I mean, he gets so much credit for Nightmares being one of his best films, and he barely had anything to do with it. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so going back to the music, like, I, I, I'm curious to know. Like, did they build this around the music the same? Do we know? I, I don't think that's in the trivia about okay. which, you know, so I'm assuming that, that the the music was an accompaniment to the story instead of the other way around in this case. Either way, I don't care how they did it. It fucking fits. Everything is perfect to the scenes. Everything when she's crawling through the tubes, the anxiety, um, the throat, if you will, uh, when she's uh, sad, when she's exploring. I mean, when she's exploring, it's the Coraline song and like, that's a soft intro. It's also a good outro, which is weird because you don't always have the same. It works for both. It's one of those things where it makes it to where Coraline is a horror film that should give kids nightmares, but likely kids are playing this to sleep. <laughs> it's true. It's a weird, I mean, it's a weird movie for, you know, the the stuff that's actually inside, you know, the movie. Yeah. Um. And even the even the like circus theme music, it's still got a softer tone to it to where it is something. Now, I personally am not the type of person like, oh, let's just let Coraline play in the background while we're doing things. It's This is not that type of film. This is a sit down and watch this film. It's on. You're fucking done. Whatever you were doing, cleaning, cooking, you're fucking watching Coraline now. <laughs> it's not one of those films I and mean, yes it is technically like I said kids can technically fall asleep because of the music uh, likely my kids are not I don't think they've put this on to fall asleep but they could it's soft enough the music's soft enough good enough and horrific enough too it's got a good creep factor to it it, it does uh, I was just sitting there trying to catch up on something we mentioned earlier about the other father in the book apparently uh, he was locked away in a small room just like you said 
uh, a piece of bread, like in a, and, and like wine that had been like forgotten. He, it doesn't really give him an explanation of the fact that like, he's a blob of nothingness. So yeah. the, the other mother has ignored him to the point that he doesn't, re- he's just like negative, like space at that point. And like all that's left of him is like his, uh, is a black button eye that starts sliding off yeah. of his face. So it's similar in a sense in the movie that he's like melting, but like he's like black, you know, like nothingness in the book. Like he's he's that forgotten about, I should yeah. say. Um so and and also he's like a monster that attacks Coraline in the in the book and she has to like escape from him and like with his without his eye. It's almost like the scene at the end when the other mother has like her both of her eyes ripped off by the cat and she's like uh, a spider like figure and she's only able to sense where Coraline's at whenever she yes. triggers the web. Like he did it was the other father did that in the book, like in the sense that he was crawling after her, which is really creepy when you think about this big blob of nothing that's crawling after her and he only knows where she's at based upon the sound that she makes. Yeah. So that's that's pretty creepy. It is, know? yeah. Um so I'm sure in better words the books d- describe it. But uh, allegedly, that book is pretty horrific. Well, it sounds like it is just based upon that description because, like, the other father doesn't get relegated to, like, the basically just this hidden away room like he does in the, uh, in the book. I mean, in the movie, he's still at least got a purpose, and that's to, you know, be out in the garden trying to keep up appearances out there, if nothing else. Okay. I have some answers about the music, too. Okay. It was developed about a year before the film. Really? Yes. Okay. So, well, a year before production began, and I'm sure there were songs that weren't used. Like, he composed a list of songs. Um, let me see. Okay, and- so they, they took music that he made, mm-hmm. tailored it to the scene, like which is done in a lot of cases. Yeah. And then maybe mixed and matched to kind of make it fit what Correct. they Correct, yeah. Gotcha. So, okay. um, he said he wanted, they wanted to let him have creative fr- uh, freedom to score the film, which is fucking awesome. If there's anything um, else. Nope. I don't see much. Do more. you want to move into trivia at this point, or do you have anything else you want to talk about the movie before we move on? I'm sure everything else that we need to talk about is gonna be in trivia or added to trivia, so I think we should get into trivia. Baby, swear. 